Recording. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really excited. It's always funny when you listen to someone's book because what face I kept Googling you. And I was like, let me put the face in the, I need the voice in the face, the voice in the face. Um, do you hear that a lot of people listen to your book or like, how are you? I'm hearing sort of both. Um, um, I was so excited to do the audio book and then immediately got, hold on a second. Uh, in or out. <laughs> This is like everyone's work life right now. I actually think my husband. That's my husband. (laughs) Yeah, I think my my husband left the house in order for me to do this. He knew it would be a big. Yeah, I don't. I at my old place we just moved, and at my old place we had. um, I had a little studio set up under our stairs, like its own little cubby hole, and that's where I recorded. Bringing it all back, I was where I recorded my audio book, and. when I started, I was really excited to do it. They were like, do you want to do it? And I was like, I insist I have to do it. <laughs> and then um, when I started it, I immediately was panicked because I was like, oh, this is off. I sound terrible. I'm not getting the voices right. I sound like an idiot. And um, uh, it got easier as I went. Now I'm like speaking, you know, like in the overthinking way, I'm like, oh, I should have gone back. and." Uh, redone chapter one mm, once I was you got your up. you got your stride but we didn't do that and I'm okay with it you know I'm it's like the fact that we were able to do it during a pandemic from home is a miracle and um and I listened like they put out um Simon and Schuster put out you know some little clips um and at first they selected a clip that I was like this is the like crux of the like don't like it was let's just give this away let's just yeah it was like give let's it just it go ahead which by right. the way trailers are like that these days like what yeah, the hell it was a i just spoiler. saw the whole movie in the trailer and it was also really really like vulnerable and raw moment it was the part where like my dad confesses like i was oh, like wow. that isn't and they wanted me to put it on my instagram and i was like no like no i'm like how about we pick something a little more lighthearted from chapter one? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And um, so, yeah, I, when I heard that clip, you know, and then they sent me a new one, I hated, I usually am okay listening to myself. Like as a stand-up comedian, I record myself often. I do podcasts a lot and I'm okay. Like I'm not someone who's like, Oh, I can't, I can't hear my own voice. I can't watch myself. There's parts where I can't there's things I don't like to watch of myself, but this was one where I was like, Oh, I don't want to hear that ever again. I don't want to. I hear- mean, it's the <laughs> subject matter. It's not the yeah. voice. It's the subject. Yeah. I was I like, I don't love wanna- your voice. I love your, I love, okay, I mean, I'm sure you. you hear that a lot, but I love your accent. I love you. I heard how you said under the stair. It was, you have an amazing, <laughs> like singular <laughs> accent. It is a weird mishmash of, I have definite, you know, traces of Southern and, but then I lived in New York city for 13 years and my first husband was from Philly. And so like, and I was 19 when I met him. So you're that young, you pick up some voice accent from like people that shape you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was listening and I feel like you do the voice of your mom 
differently than Ross in the book, like Mm -hmm. that Ross is your sister. So different voices for different people. And I'm wondering how much you were like actively trying to channel their voices or like so much more challenging than I thought. Like the parts where my mom would say things that are classic Billy Schaefer things. That was really easy. Cause I've done that my whole life, you know, like awesome, Sarah, you know, that was easy, but it was more like uh, written stuff that, you know, I wrote for the book that was things I knew she said or whatever. Um, but that I don't have a clear memory of her saying it um, or audio of her saying it. That was like, is that how she would have said it? Like, and I was able to, you know, we have video old home movies of her and, and I have a few audio tapes of her talking and she's much more Southern than I think I gave did for her, but I didn't want it to sound like a character caricature. And I've listened to audiobooks, and I love when people just do the hint yes. of a voice, not overdo it. You know, um, well, you also get an excitement. You get like mom excitement when yeah. you do mom yeah. voice. So that yeah. seemed perfect. Um, but it was kind of challenging to do Ross and Christy because we've been told our voices sound exactly the same. Uh. Like on the phone, my mom would never be able to tell the difference between us. And and when we're all together, people are like, you guys have the same exact voice. So it was like a challenge, a little bit of a challenge to differentiate because you're listening to the book. You want, you know, people to know who's talking, who's not. And uh, so I'm glad that that came through because it, it, was, it was nerve wracking, especially the voices of people who aren't here anymore. And I couldn't... Um, consult with them or talk to them about it and you want to respect their memory. And, you know, so that was, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And I, I know my, my dad, uh, my dad loved it. He, he, I, I don't know if anyone else in my family listened to the audiobook. My, they all read it, but my dad listened to it and he said it was great. So I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm interested in your journey to writing this book. So I, you have been a comedy writer for so many years. Like what, how was this different? Where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Like, how did you get there? Um, well, I had the dream of writing a book, as I mentioned in the book, uh, of writing a book before I ever thought I would be a comedian. So um, that was a dream I've had even before even formulating the idea of doing comedy or even knowing what comedy was really. Um, books were, you know, as a child, that's like such an immediate thing in your life and that are part of your life. And so I always wanted, I, I have like in, in like first grade, second grade, every year you got to make a book at school. I don't know if you did that, but like, you know, they bind it and you got to cover. I have some, I have like one or two. Yeah. And I have, and they're like kindy, kindy age. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I have three or four of them. And I mean, they're ridiculous. Like, it's like poems and stuff and dumb stories, rhyming, you know. And uh, I was just so proud of those. They were treasures that I had made. I was like, wow, I wrote a book, you know. Um, and so this was something in me for as long as I can remember. But to, to get to the book at this point, after becoming a different type of writer, Um, It was challenging. There was a few false starts. Uh, There was always a discussion with my agents and manager and stuff about writing a book um, because we all knew that I 
I enjoy more substantial writing and um, I've written essays online before and I'm, I'm um, more of a storyteller than I am like a joke writer. And so that's in my comedy as well. That is prevalent. And so um, there was always talk of it, but I wasn't ready. I did like a book proposal years ago and, you know, it just fell apart. I was like, I, I mean, can't. that was in the book too, right? At one point mm-hmm. you said like, I moved thinking I had this book in the works. And so when I that moved, different? that was a different thing. It was like, uh-huh. I was going to be hired to write up, to adapt uh, mm-hmm. something into a book. And um, I ended up writing a lot of it and didn't get the job. So that was like, you know, someone else got it. And I, that was a little bit of a ding. And um but then, you know, uh, when I started, I think what started it was when I went to Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, God, now I'm mixing up years now. Uh, right when I got, fuck, you know, I don't know what year was what. <laughs> Did I have the book deal then? No, I didn't. Um, there, was a, there was a lot going Oh, you know what? I now remember. So I went to Edinburgh. Fringe Festival, which is this month-long festival. And at this point, I had been working on material about my mom. And it was the first time I had ever spoken about her on stage before. And that opened it up for me a little bit. And um, and then... Did you, did you feel like you were going to cry? I mean, like, how did you... When I was on stage? You, yes. Well, yeah. Or you just, I like, mean, know your I material told, so well. Well, I told a story... Um, that's in the book about the memorial service with all the women being like, I saw your mom, you know, she was a butterfly. And, um, and the story about my aunt and, you know, what she said to me at the memorial service. And I told, I I started by telling that story and um, it was going really well. It was harder to do in like stand-up clubs um, in those settings, but like in more, more independent or theatrical type settings, it was easier to tell. And then I went to Edinburgh, which is where you can do whatever you want on stage. And so I really developed that material for that and did it every night for 30 days. And so when I came back, I just felt very powerful in terms of writing and storytelling. And so I worked on this book proposal and um, it, and I did very well at Edinburgh. And so they were like, this is a good moment. Like you, you got good press and you can go out there and pitch this book. You know, it's like, and I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I'm working on the book proposal, which is like 35 pages. It's like, you know, if you're someone who I'm for me, you know, I write jokes. I write, sometimes I write essays online or articles or something or whatever you want. I was a blogger for a while, you know, like I can write short stuff easy. 35 pages is a lot. <laughs> like that's yeah. like a, you know, that's three a, chapters. I mean, how many chapters? Yeah. Is that? Three chapters, three chapters. Um, the table of contents, you know, a little uh, one page sort of like, here's me, here's who I am type thing. And I wrote, you know, a couple chapters that ended up not making it in the book at all. And then I, but I had it written and my agent was like, ah, I think you should write one more. She's like, why don't you write about your mom dying? I was like, for the proposal? Oh, no. I was like, that comes later. I don't, I don't do that unless I'm getting paid. Like, you know, I was like, don't make, <laughs> don't make me open those closet yeah, doors. So painful. And she's like, just try, just try. Cause I think if you have something 
with that depth, then, you know, that'll help them understand that you want to write a book that's both funny and poignant. So I did that and I wrote that chapter and that almost word for word stayed the same. That I told you that one made me cry. That survived. Yeah. I never Um, cry. Everything else changed a million times. And I feel like I've written three books at this point, but, um, but yeah, the Grand Canyon stuff didn't even, I didn't even go on the trip until a year later. Um, I had no idea that the Grand Canyon trip was going to be my book. I, it was, I went into the Grand Canyon just having gotten feedback on my first draft and it wasn't good. And so part of my, which I didn't write about in the book because it would have been too meta, but part of my mental state going into the Grand Canyon was feeling really down on myself because I felt that I had just put, it was so painful to write this book. And then to find out that it wasn't really hitting yet and not working, but I've never done this before. I didn't realize that like, that's actually very normal for the first, I thought but it's when, horrible. It's normal, but horrible. Well, when people go, your first draft sucks, you know, of course I had heard that I wasn't stupid going into it. I'd read books about how to write books and you know, whatever. And I knew first drafts aren't great, but I thought that meant my first draft like that yeah, I wrote for right. myself. And then you revise it a few times and then you turn it in and they're like, wow, good work. You know, no, the first dr- thing you turn in is garbage. <laughs> and, I, mm-hmm. and so um, it was a really long process with a lot of major rewrites. And it, it was just so, I know it's cliche to say how hard it is to write a book, but it is, it's they so are hard. not lying. It's a cliche it's so for hard. <laughs> I wrote my first book this year, also released in March, and it's such a weird time to release a book. I did not undertake anything as massive as you did. Um, Mine is like the wisdom of the beautiful Voyager community. So a lot of it is around overthinking and it's, you know, much more broken up into ideas and sort of like research and stuff like that. I, I do, I am in awe of people who undertake the kind of writing you did because it just seems like you have to go over and over and so many times and revisit such painful moments in your life. Did you find that they lost their sting like over Um, time? No. I, and it depended on the stage and what I was doing, but when I would get finally get a new draft turned in, which every time felt so difficult to do that. It just felt like the hardest thing I'd ever done. And then I would turn it in and it would take a while to get the feedback. You know, they have to go read your whole book and then get notes and stuff. And so there was a lot of me waiting and I have a lot of other things going on. So I would just turn that part of my brain off and start working on other things and focus on other stuff. And then when I would get the feedback, it would feel like I was in a free fall of despair because then, because it meant I had to go back into it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the, and the painful, when the, in the beginning, I was just like, I don't know if I can go through this again, but I could, and I did. And each time was better and um, the book turned out better, but each time presented a new challenge where especially the second and third drafts uh, I hadn't really gone deep enough in the first draft and I hadn't, I had it's always like, you have to go to the most painful. It's like, yeah. And it wasn't the stuff that I thought like the stuff writing about my mom dying was very painful. And I was like, every time I worked on that part, I would cry. 
and it would be extremely difficult um, to reopen it. That got a little easier over time, but it was the stuff that I was afraid to talk about. Your husband, your first husband, right? Yeah, it had that to be stuff, that. like you could feel that as you're. That was now. the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Was in terms of writing. Um, because I talk about it in the book. I'm still terrified. I, like I said that, and you know, I talk about how the reasons why I didn't want to talk about it. And in working on the book, you know, at first I was trying to hide all of it, but I couldn't not say I was married. I couldn't not say, I I couldn't pretend that none of it happened to find a way that I was comfortable with it. Um, but you know what? Once I let go and started writing, it came out almost perfect. Because I'd been waiting to tell that story for so long. And it was some of my best writing I've ever done. And I knew it the moment it was written down. I was like, this is so fucking good. Holy shit, it feels good. It feels it's like good. a thorn. It it's barely like a- was revised. You know, that's how like when you have a story you're that you need to tell. I'm about to get choked up thinking about this. I haven't really talked about this part in detail with people but when you have something inside of you that you've been hiding from people in the world you know everyone in my personal life has heard the stories has heard way more than than this in the book you know um of course i've talked about it it's not that i've kept it secret from my my private life but i'm a storyteller and i like telling my stories with the world i like sharing that's a theme in the book is feeling okay with that and accepting that I am a storyteller. I do like having the, the microphone and it's okay and it's valid and it's valuable. And my work has value. My stories have value. Um, and to take that step, God, I'm getting so choked up. <laughs> to take that step was, I mean, the most, one of the most healing things I've ever done was to love myself enough to go, this story is worthy. And I don't care if someone's mad. I don't care if it hurts other people. I mean, I, I do care, but, but I'm doing it anyway, you know? And that was one of the biggest risks it felt like in the book. Um, And there was other stuff that uh, most people reading it would probably not think, but like the stuff at the end about Nikki and like, feeling competitive with her and that that was also something really scary to admit oh my god it Um, felt like it to me I mean these are the the things that are the most meaningful the things that are the deepest don't necessarily seem it to others but those of us who understand context see yeah why that would be so hard to talk about jealousy with your partner your comedy partner that you worked with so closely yeah, the stuff that brings you shame is, yeah, shame. I think, the hardest to talk about. The stuff that you feel, you know, and it's such a theme in the book of, am I telling my story? Or am I telling someone else's story? Am I allowed to tell this story? Ross and I, you know, we talked a lot about this and my whole family. Like, this is my story to tell, but it's also involving them. And they were so gracious in letting me tell, allowing me to tell my story and not trying to get in my way or They're to so control supportive. it. I mean, that part about the, the way they supported you when I know. your husband started talking about stuff, like that was really It's amazing. one of the most significant moments of my life. I mean, when you feel 
I'm so grateful in the end for that experience because I've never felt the wagon circling like that. Like everyone's coming to, to, to have your back. Like I've never had a moment like that where everyone's like, no, we're protecting you, you know, like, and I was the protector of Ross and I was, uh, you know, we took turns, but I was a big sister to Ross. I was someone in my family whose role was to adapt and to, I'm always the one that is like, whatever you guys want, I'll go along with it. Now, I'm, I don't want to rewrite history. I can be very like dramatic and like, you know, no, you know, like I can be stubborn and all those things. But in my family, I like being a diplomat and I like everyone getting along. And I mean, thought- you're a comedian. That's like enough said, right? Yeah. That's the, thought, the skill of comedy is like, yeah. let me take what's happening and make it into Process something that makes it, us feel Make better. it okay yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I am someone who doesn't want to be the source of trouble. I, I don't want to be the one in trouble. And in that moment, I was in trouble. I did something wrong and a person tried to get me and tell on me, you know, and control my story and my narrative and um my and secrets and all those things and you know that stuff started from when we were little of my parents trying to control the narrative and so all those things combined of like when you can finally tell a story and let loose of all those worries of um you know who is this going to hurt am i going to get in trouble for telling this story like those things i i mean i'm I think I'm unusual in the comedy world for, there are many like me, but I would say the majority of comedians I know are far less concerned about hurting family or hurting feelings of, you know, and don't ask for permission the way that I do. Like I have friends who will just go on stage and just destroy their mother or their parent. And then they'll be like, ah, oh, shit, my mom was in the audience tonight. I'll be like, Oh my God, <laughs> you just, you just destroyed your relationship. What are you doing? And, and, but they're still they're I'm like projecting my own stuff onto them, but yeah, I'm not someone who goes for the jugular on people I love because that's not how I express my love for them. You know, other people, it's their way of dealing with it. You know, just now I'm with, I've been with my husband, my current husband, my second, I love saying my second husband. Um, uh, my husband now I've been with him for 10 years and he, I just this year started telling a joke about him in my act. Like I keep my people close. Like I'm like, the stage is not. I would never humiliate you that way and expose our secrets and whatever. Um, now after writing this book, I'm like, all bets are off. Everybody's <laughs> their game. I'm free. You know, no, but, um, and, and I, he, all the jokes that I've written about him are, you know, they're coming from a place of real love. So he, and he knows he likes them. He's helping me. He's like, Oh, it'd be funnier if you said it this way, you know, Amazing. that's the best way is when, the person knows that you're doing it out of love. Did, at what point did the thorn start to pull out? Like, was it when you wrote those sections that were so 
hidden before or was it the publication date or like where yeah, it, when it was a step you know um steps I think getting it on paper first would be the first ah, okay I did that but then that would wear off and the 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 fear of what are they going to think what is I mean overthinking talk about overthinking my internal voice, that bad voice, which I put in the book, and I actually had too much of it. People were like, this is, you are so nasty to yourself mm. that it's, it's too painful to read. Like it hurts. It's like watching someone smack themselves, like stop, you know? <laughs> and um, so I had to pull back on that a little, because to me, it, it it's, doesn't hurt to write that because I'm hearing it all the time. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, you, you're getting just a taste. You have no idea. <laughs> um, but seeing it from the reader's point of view, I was like, oh yeah, I need to pull back on that. But my negative voice was so loud and so strong during this process. There would be days where I couldn't write past 10 minutes because I would become overwhelmed with this is bad. Oh my God, this is so stupid. Who would want to read this? This is the dumbest shit. Your story isn't interesting. Oh, you're no one wants to hear from a white woman anymore, able-bodied, you know, American white. You have nothing interesting to say. You know, like, I mean, and those are like, I'm picking up, my brain likes to pick up uh things I see on Twitter, things I see in the news, something I hear someone say, and then I apply it to myself. I go, oh, you're right. I don't want to hear from me. This is stupid. And then I'm like, but I just read a book. That you liked, nothing. that you loved, that did that. That I loved, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's books like, and I, I'm, I don't, I, it's, I don't want to say this in a way that would come off insulting to him, but John Hodgman has written books that are really just, about very sweet and small moments in his life. Some are, and, but they go real deep, you know, mm -hmm. like it cut, he'll cut to the core of the emotional journey of something as simple as like, uh, you know, buying a vacation home, you know, and that's a very, I know I just read vacation. Land, yeah, and I was like, just revisiting early David Sedaris. I mean, it's the same. Yeah. And it's beautiful writing and it makes you feel so it's delightful, but also delightful. Cry a little bit at moments, and you feel his humanity. And like, I'm like, why am I beating myself up so much? And that's what's going to hold me back from really telling a good story. And so it was a constant battle. So that was a constant uh, dealing with it. But then it, towards the end, when I got my sort of like yes from the editor, we're in production now. We're we're moving into. And I don't even know what that meant. I mean, I was like, what does that mean? She's like things will be moving very quickly now. And, you know, everything got very exciting. And I realized, oh, now's the time to show it to my family. Mm. And I, I worked on this email. I mean, like, you know, please keep in mind that when you're writing a memoir, you have to create scenes that you know happened, but you don't have a video of it. You know, <laughs> I'm like trying to explain, like, don't get upset if you don't, and if there's anything that bothers you, you know, please just talk to me about it. Don't hide it. You know, I'm doing this big, all these caveats and disclaimers. I'm like, and they all get the, I send it to all of them at the same time. And 
they all read it within 24 hours. Wow. And they all loved it. And they were like, I wouldn't, every single one of them was like, I wouldn't change a word. And I have never felt that relief, that kind of relief. I was walking on air. It felt, I'm still. That that, made me, did did you notice I took a huge inhale and exhale? Like that's the. My dad, I mean, just, and the way they all reacted to it was such a relief because they were the ones that I was worried about the most um, in terms of just like it damaging our relationship or, you know, whatever. And, you know, I said, Oh, take a few weeks, you know, think about it, let it sink in. And still, you know, no, I loved it. I read it again, you know, and like, it was just, uh, you know, it really, really meant everything to me and it was worth the battle to get there mentally. I'm glad I didn't let them read earlier versions of it. Everything that people said was true. I mean, some people I think have different relationships with their family and could be like, here, read this. What do you think? You know, now I, and I did talk to them throughout the writing of like, what happened? Do you remember what happened? You know, like I would, and so they would know, like I would be working on a certain part and they'd be like, what are you writing about? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you can't read it till I'm done. (laughs) But that step was a huge one. Um, so, and then when it came out, you know, there, once they liked it, I really was not, and there was a couple other steps of people, certain people, um, I don't really want to talk about what happened with my ex, but, um, I was, there was a hurdle there that happened and that was, it was, uh, intense. And yeah, because that's a big moment where you have to, again, stand up. Yeah, for. and that was probably one of my biggest fears. And that was also uh, not, fa- it, it, was, it didn't turn out the way I thought. And it was a huge relief, a moment of relief. And after that, I just stopped worrying about it as much. And it really was about those personal relationships. Of course, I wanted the book to be a huge hit. I wanted, you know, it, you did wanted you have, to- Did you have somebody you wanted to connect with? Like, did you have something you wanted to accomplish? I had like, um, and there still exist because books are forever. So like, you know, I really wanted, uh, we talked about my, my reps and publisher and everything. We talked about like the bestseller list. And I was like, what are the chances? They're like, it's really hard. <laughs> and I was like, okay. They were like, well, some people don't care about getting on it. And I was like, those people are lying. Yeah, <laughs> like totally. that's bullshit definite liars definitely uh, and i was like look let's try let's play a lottery ticket like i looked at it, it as like it's a lottery ticket let's at least go for it like because there's certain things you have to do if you want to be on it like that you can counteract i guess the like where the books are sold and like you know um when it comes out can affect you know and all that kind of stuff and so you know we tried and i didn't get there and i actually don't know I don't know how many copies sold. I don't think I want to know because if it's like really low, I'll be like, kill me. Don't tell me. I, I, I just <laughs> got my first royalty statement. So again, my book came out in March mm-hmm. and I had to go through some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Cause because, like, I, how do we reckon with this? Like what? Well, I've been reckoning mean? with numbers my whole career. So like, I know what it feels like to show up at a show and there's three people in the audience and it's a 300 seat theater. So like, I, I have been toughened in that way, but a book is a whole new thing. It's a, you know, it's a, and it's the most personal thing I've ever put out there. It's, 
I care about it much more deeply, but in a way that makes me more at peace with it. Cause I'm like, mm. if people don't like this or didn't catch fire, it has nothing to do with me. I'm proud of what I did. There were mo- moments where I wasn't proud of where it was, but when he, when we finished it, I was like, this is a good fucking book. And I know it. I, know, I love that feeling. You don't get that often in, in your creations, you know, in comedy, there's a few jokes I have that I'm like, this shit is fucking amazing, you know? And then the rest of it, I'm like, eh, it could be better, you know? Um, you just know this, when it hits that certain level. Right, this is something that I know is good. I put so much work into it. It's honest. It's funny. It's real. It's, it's me. It's my family's story that I've been wanting to tell. And so I'm like, whatever it is. But I also just know that people don't buy very many books. So right. my expectations are really low. <laughs> and, and I also had like goals, like I want to be on the Today Show and I want to, um, you know, want Reese Witherspoon to just love it, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Do. But um, those things could still happen. And, you know, there's some you know, there's some things, discussions being had about, I mean, they can happen years from now. That's the thing it can have. It's forever. I do wonder how going through the pain and process of writing and releasing, like, what does that do for you in other ways for the future? Like for other work you're doing? It has made me so unafraid to that. try something big again. I mean, I'm like, I just, but the book came out. I can't believe them the couple months I've had, but the book came out in August all summer. I was working two jobs, two writing jobs. It, they were really crazy and intense. And then the book came out at the same time I was working two jobs and the book came out and then we moved. And so literally it's been a week and a half of me just setting up my new house and, um, it's not really, it's a cottage. It's a, it's a small house. Um, we're, we're on a friend's property. It's very, very, I, it's great. But, um, I was just telling my therapist on Sunday or yeah, Sunday that, um, that it's so wonderful here and I'm not working and I have money saved up and the book is out that the little voice starts and starts going something bad's going to happen. You're too, it's too good. It can't be that you just, you know, it's just like, she always, she literally does it. She goes, you just like go, okay, maybe that's true, but I don't care. Shoot. Thank you for trying to help me. Thank you for trying to help me. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) Do you have a name for your inner critic? I just call it the bad voice or the doom. Um, and, you know, I was just talking about this because it's Halloween season. I was just talking about this with some friends about how I love horror movies. And I think part of it is because I have anxiety and because it's a demon. And in horror movies, it's a visual way of defeating a demon, uh, conquering the demon. Um, resolution. Yeah. Total resolution. The demon. Yeah. Um, which by the way, is one of the reasons I, my, one of my favorite movies of all time, but probably my top three horror movies is the Babadook. If you haven't seen watch it. it, but well, you know, what I do is, uh, which apparently I'm not alone. According to New York magazine, this is a common thing. I read Wikipedia's plot summaries. 
Oh yeah. If you can't, yeah, you can do I, that. I can't but it, it, it I read the summary. It is. Yeah. Okay. So Babadook is, is I feel like I, I actually have read Babadook summary. Like I, yeah, I was super interested. It's really it's a parable about mothering, right? It's kind of like about, about grief, about grief and, and being a mother while grieving. So there's a lot about motherhood and how your, your child never goes away and is always needs you. And, yeah. Yeah. And um, but there's this monster and the monster is grief. And, and at the end, she doesn't, this is spoiler alert for anybody who cares, but uh, pause, fast forward th- <laughs> 10 seconds. Um, but at the end, she doesn't um, defeat the monster. She puts him on a chain. She has him on a chain in the basement and feeds it, you know? And, and she says some days the monster is very hungry and some days it's quiet. And I was like, I, it was one of the only horror movies I had seen over the years that was directed and written by a woman, which I was like, uh-huh. No wonder it was such an incredible film. <laughs> but I went and I read like an article about it afterwards. I was like, why? I was like, why? I like to know after a movie, I've watched a movie. Why did I like it so much? Like I need smarter people than me to tell me some of the symbolism. Like, I don't want to, I'll have guesses. And I like knowing if I was right or I want more insight. So I read some articles and when I saw, they were like, this is a metaphor for when, when it was more spelled out for me, I broke down in tears. I was sobbing. I was like, that's one of the best explanations. And it's not just grief. It's any monster that's haunting you. And I liked that ending because it was realistic in that it showed you that you will never get rid of it, but you can live with it. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that is one of the things about anxiety is that like you're you're never going to get rid of it completely and <clears throat> that voice that bad voice will come back but I'm learning to live with it which before I took the voice way too seriously yeah I was going to ask you because yeah. it does come up at the end like oh you finally named it as anxiety you didn't know what it was you thought it was depression mm-hmm. you thought there were all these different things and how what has happened since then like how long um, ago was that years ago right that was yeah that was like probably five four or five years ago and i've been with the same therapist since and she's just been she was a huge part of me rewiring my brain to just think differently about the bad thoughts to i used to i mean i remember being in fights with scott um during that time before I went into therapy where I would say, I can't stop thinking about it. And he's like, you got to stop talking about this. I don't want to hear about it anymore. The things I was upset about. And I would like my monsters, my Hollywood monsters, things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, of course. And, yeah. You know, he's like, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Why do you care so much? And I'm just like, I, because I'm projecting all my, you know, and I didn't even have the word anxiety to use. And I would say, well, I have to, I would say, I have to think about these things because I have to figure out how to protect myself from it happening again. And, you know, it's funny, my therapist has never diagnosed me with OCD, but a bunch of people who have read this book have said, I have it. (laughs) And I'm like, no <laughs> intrusive thoughts right um, it's the intrusive yeah, thoughts, and like right? the idea that i can somehow save or protect or control a situation if i go down this thought pattern and do things exactly a certain way um obsessively almost thinking. like um superstition 
Yeah. Like, uh, you know, one of my tricks, my, my bad voice tricks is to see a trigger. So like if it's someone who's hurt me and I see their face like on TV or something like, cause I know people who are on TV yeah. and stuff. Yeah. If I see them on TV, I will now have to stop and think about everything that happened mm-hmm. from the beginning and really go in and study it. And like, you know, and then I'm, then I'm fully traumatized again. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm sounds like, like it. Sounds feeling like it. it. Yeah. And um, it was very disruptive, you know, for a while and um, you know, and, and dealing with uh, I think one of my things my therapist says a lot is she'll go public versus private, public versus private. And I will be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, exactly. And then I'll be like, huh? <laughs> she's like, you don't know the difference. <laughs> she's um, like, like uh, I have a trouble keeping a boundary and, and being like, okay, here's what I share publicly. Cause I have a public facing life and everyone does now with social media, you have your public life and then you have your private life. And what do I share publicly versus what do I share uh, privately and how do I feel full and valid? And like all these things are always mixing and swirling around my head. Um, but the things that have changed since that point of starting the therapy and just starting to name it is that I've made it that it's, I've come to understand it's not me. It's not the core of who I am. And there's a lot of meditative, um, you're not your thoughts. You know, um, there's been a lot of that. I've returned to praying actually, which is, uh, like, I was curious about that. I was curious about your relationship with religion. Um, I'm still like, I do not practice and I'm not, um, in a church, but I've thought about trying to find one. And every time I do, I just get discouraged. Um, because I, people, yeah. And I think I have a really close friend who was raised, uh, my best friend was uh, raised um, in a similar environment than me. And she and I have in-depth conversations about God and, you know, like, it's like, okay, if we could find 10 more people just like us, then we'd be a church, <laughs> you know? Um, but I pray every night in a more meditative way. I think, you know, I list everyone I love and then I'm asleep. So it works. <laughs> It's better than thinking about what do I have to do tomorrow? What am I not doing? What should I worry about? I just start going. I list all my nieces and nephews first. Then I list the adults. Then I list. And you imagine their faces or is it just like names? What do you imagine? I do names if I'm really tired, but like, I'll just be like, I'll go. Cause growing up, my mom taught us every night we had to say a prayer and it would be, um, it would be, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, which by the way, why are you teaching a five? I know that prayer too. Yeah. About death. And you, you might die during your sleep. Yeah. Could happen. Ah. If it happens, <laughs> I pray that God will take my soul. Like, yeah. maybe it'll happen. <laughs> so I was like, and then you, and then when you're finished with that, um, please soul to keep, could I pray and please soul to keep. And then we would go, God bless mommy. God bless daddy. God bless. Christy, God bless Ross, you know, we go down the list. So now I just go, I'll either say God bless, or I'll say, please protect. I'll say, protect, protect Max, protect Chloe. 
And then I just, then I'll skip the protect part and I'll just go Max, Chloe, Jana, Henry, Abe, Nate, Will, you know, and then I name everybody. And then I it's just like na- sending them some love too. Yeah. And then, and then sometimes if I run out of names, which usually I don't, cause there's so many people I love, but like I'll fall asleep before I get to the end of the list. But sometimes I'll just be like, I pray for peace. You know, I pray for peace for this person who is stressed right now. I pray for peace for myself. I pray for peace for the world, you know, and it calms me down. It really works when I'm in that. Cause that was one of my biggest issues was the spiraling thoughts at night. Good God. There's so much great um, internet memes and stuff about anxiety at night. Like, you know, like 3 a.m., you know, I should be sleeping, but then my brain, and it's like some guy with a horn, like, (laughs) you know, like, you know. So true. Or like, you know, you wake up, and I won't even know where the thought started or how it started, but I will be in a full panic remembering like an awkward interaction from like seven years ago and like oh my god everyone hates me they're all talking about me still from that embarrassing thing that I did you know (laughs) I so relate I mean I was up at 3 a.m and it's like a vacuum that like just sucks it's just everything has to fill it yeah all the thoughts yeah and so it's gotten, I've got tools now. Like one of the things that my therapist said in the beginning, because I was in such a bad place with it, that it was just truly dominating like full days. Like it was like, she was like, well, when it's really bad in the middle of the night and you can't calm yourself down, she's like, you could get up and report yourself, like report it and write it down. And she's like, you know, probably by sentence two, you'll realize how dumb it sounds. (laughs) it's all about perspective it's like how do you get the perspective yeah and that that can help um but i still occasionally will have now i've come to understand what an anxiety attack is i've never had a full-blown panic attack i don't think um uh but i've had where for hours i will be it's usually like a sleepless night where i can't stop I'm crying. I'm talking to myself. My heart rate is, you know, like, and it's usually triggered by some, something like uh, some sort of social interaction gone wrong, an argument with someone, you know, something that is just happened that day or something. And I am crawling out of my skin. I feel like I'm, you know, and it's a full blown, then it, it's, it's physical at that point. And it's like, I don't know how to stop this. And that's where that's been the only time where I've been like, do I need like a pill I can take in this moment <laughs> to calm myself down? And I'm very fortunate where I've never felt like I needed medication. But um, there are times where I'm close where I'm like, I, I could probably take something that would make this a little bit easier to deal with. But luckily, I feel okay. I feel like I've got a good handle on it, but it's just like anything. It's like when I'm not eating healthy, when I'm not right. taking care of myself, all those things get worse. And, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, now I'm like getting in my forties and I'm like, well, what point does this get easier? And it's like, ah, I gotta stop thinking about it that way. I mean, I do think we like human beings naturally chill out as they get older. <laughs> 
true. I mean, that's true. And a lot of big questions in my life have been figured out and I'm, you know, a good, you know, I I am like, okay, let's head on into the the chill zone. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. What, um, beyond your fantastic memoir grand, what are other ways that people can see yourself? Um, well, I am still shackled to uh, social media as we, many of us are. Um, I love when you see a celebrity like Jennifer Lawrence be like, oh my God, I would never do social media. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't need to, you have, you have, you're a movie star. Like they right. $50 million just promoting the movie you're in. I'm like, okay, you're fine. You don't need it. I would love to get to that point. <laughs> where I don't need social media, but for now I do. It's how I connect and like sell tickets and sell books and sell whatever. But social media, Sarah Schaefer one is Instagram and um, Twitter. And I, you know, occasionally I'll put out right now because stand up is dead. Uh, mainly what I've been doing is I've been kind of dormant lately, but you know, I put the book out. I've, I've made a couple videos and I have an Etsy shop. And I make, what are you, what are you selling on the Etsy shop? Um, most of it is in boxes right now, but I do little embroidery and, um, little crafts awesome. that are, usually have some clever right. angle to it, which, you know, I'm more of a traditionalist. Like I love an old lady type of cross stitch situation, but I'm not an artist. So I can't design those. And people don't want that. They want, they want something that says fuck on it. You know, right, right, right. <laughs> of course, know? of course. Um, yeah. But I usually in the fall, which is now I, I get very crafty and I start listing stuff for, for the holiday season. So uh, awesome. you know, all this well, stuff well, is definitely linked. linked to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my, it, my Etsy is kind of actually hard to find. So it, I'll tell you what it, it's called. Bobo's Nook. <laughs> it almost sounds like Baba Duck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I'm now hoping to, um, work on my next big idea, whatever that might yeah, be. Yeah. I'm excited, Sarah. I'm totally going to follow. I thank you so much thank for, you. this was such a wonderful conversation. Yeah. I, really I loved getting I love to know you. Too. I I'm like <laughs> part of a community. <laughs> you are totally part of a community. I don't know if you saw the lighthouse map on what? the site on bevoya.com. I, I wasn't a, on it that long, but wait, there okay. is a lighthouse map. If you go to the homepage and then you scroll down, you'll see this map and you can sort of click into it mm. and you can look at people all over the oh, world who have put up their lighthouses so in all their different places and they name it. And then they also throw out um, messages in a bottle. So if you tap on any of those blue bottles, you see like messages that people have shared. A lot of people out in the middle of the ocean. Those are the messages in a bottle. If it's in water and it's blue, tap on it and you'll see a message from somebody. If it's yellow, it's a lighthouse. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Yeah. So they, so so you just, you randomly look at these messages and it's so sweet. Oh my God. Because they're like writing to you, you know? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely add mine. Yes. I'm like, now I'm, I'm like, can we stop talking? I want to look at this. <laughs> yes, we can stop talking. Thank you. I love um, it. Thank you. Sorry. Really I got appreciate like, your time. Distracted by <laughs> um, okay. Oh, I thank you so much. To... Thank Eric. you.